Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, and today we'll be reading from the New King James. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you two or more, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two or three agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there In the midst of them, let us pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we ask that you would help us as we consider this passage of your word to understand our priorities, what is really important, what is really vital in our lives as believers. Father, we pray that um, we would understand that you have called us to be the ones who go after the one, to be the ones who look for those who are lost. To help them to be found. Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20, is often considered a passage uh, on church discipline. And um, you could call it that. But the context makes it read differently. Matthew 18, the beginning, you've you've got disciples coming to Jesus, talking about who's the greatest, Jesus? You know, they're like kids on a play yard bragging about who's the best ball player. (laughs) I'm better at tag. I'm better at kickball. I'm better at football. And they want the big kid, a.k.a. Jesus, to affirm their claim that they're the best. And Jesus calls a little child to him. He says, unless you're like one of these, 
whoever humbles themselves like a little child is going to be greatest in my kingdom. But then he gives some grave warnings against offending, against causing damage and harm to the lowliest, the littlest, the least. And he goes on to tell the parable of the lost sheep and how you leave the 99 and you go and you seek the one. Then we get to the passage we just read. And then afterward, Peter tells, Peter asks a question. Lord, if my brother sins against me seven times, how often shall I forgive him? Up to seven times? And the wording and the context make us think that as Peter is saying up to seven times, he is saying, Surely I don't have to be that generous in my forgiveness, Jesus. I mean, I can understand forgiving somebody once, twice, three times, you know, fool me once, that whole thing. But he's thinking seven times is kind of a ludicrous number. And Jesus answers seven times seventy which was a figurative number, which basically means infinitely. You keep on keeping on forgiving. And he goes on to tell the parable about the guy who owes the king, some, some official, some guy in the, in the management of the kingdom who owes the king, let's say in modern day terms, tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands and he's thrown in a debtor's prison, and there's no way he can make it out. And, and he just begs for mercy, and the king feels merciful and, and says, oh, we'll just call this a loan, and yeah, just don't worry about this for now. He takes compassion on the man. And the man gets out after experiencing all the grace and the mercy and the compassion, and he gets out, and he finds a guy who owes him 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks. And he puts his hand around him and says, I want my money now. And he presses his legal case against the guy because he can't pay and has him locked up. Not even thinking, not even comparing the great mercy that he's been given in relief of his debt. He thinks nothing about that compassion. He just thinks what's owed to him. And the other servants see what's happening and they're outraged and they tell the king. And the king says, oh boy, you thought you had it bad before. I'm going to tor turn you over to my torturers. And you know when they're going to stop torturing you? Uh, whenever you can pay your debt. The hundreds of thousands that could never be paid. And the idea of the story was, if you can't forgive other people, do not think that God is letting you off the hook. Do not think that God is okay with you taking all of his mercy and grace and kindness and then saying, oh, I love you, merciful Savior. Now I'm going to get every last bit of what's owed me. I'm going to get every last bit of vengeance for what they've done. And that is the context of what comes before 
And after this passage about if a brother sins against you. And when you look at it in that light, the idea is all about relationships. The idea is all about within this community that we live in called church. The Greek word was ekklesia. Some folks call it assembly. You know, it's called church or assembly. That's why, you know, if you hear, why are some churches called the assembly of God? Because assembly is just another way to translate the word. Church or assembly or gathering or congregation. They're all words that mean the same thing. It is a coming together. Why is this a church building, this 1736 Bersheba Road? Why is it a church building and not a church? It is only a church when we're here. It is a church when we are gathered. The rest of the time, it is a church building. Because the church are the people, the members of the body of Christ, who happen to gather in this particular place. That is the church. The church is not a building as blessed as we are with these facilities. The church is the body. The church is the family. And inside this family, like all families, there are relationships. There are issues. Every family has the black sheep. Every family has the problem child. Every family has the the disagreements. Every family has the issues. Every family has the, oh, it's Labor Day weekend. Some of you thought about getting going somewhere. Some of you said, eh. And if you don't even, if this isn't one of your holidays, you're thinking about Thanksgiving coming up. And, uh, you know, some of you are like, oh, this is going to be tough. I might not to get to see so-and-so. And some of you be like, oh, got a great excuse this year. Don't have to see them. Don't have to go by and, you know, pretend to be nice. Because we know families don't automatically easily connect and get along like maybe they should. In reality, it's difficult sometimes. And the family of God is a family. It is a bunch of imperfect people saved by God's grace. And Jesus gave a very basic a very general process. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Number one, you go have it out. You just go and simply talk. Not about them, not around them. You don't tell the whole community about what you think and, and how they've persecuted. You don't line up 10,000 people to get on your side. You know, I remember one time I was in a situation in a church and uh, someone uh, ended up being upset with me and they talked about it. This has been years and years ago, but it was funny. And, and uh, that they were talking all about it. And I, I remember saying, yeah, letting them know, I've heard about this. And, uh, and they said, oh, well, I didn't say anything bad against you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right, you didn't. 
what you said was, and what this person did, I can quote. They went to this person, this person, this, and every time they said, you remember this situation here? Do you think Brother Tim did wrong? Went to the next person. Do you think Brother Tim did wrong? Do you think Brother Tim did wrong? So they could say, well, I didn't say anything bad against you. I just asked everybody in the whole community what, uh, what they thought about that. Well, this isn't what God says the way you do that. You don't go involve everyone and their mother and their brother and their sister. You simply go to the person that you have a personal relationship with, and you sit down and you talk to them. That's difficult. We, especially in the South, we will talk about someone as quick and easy as possible, but we are so trained to be all polite to their face. And this says we actually have the difficult job of sitting down and being honest. Not making wild accusations, but sitting down. Hey, this is how, this is something that happened. This is how that made me feel. Can we talk about this? You know, here's what it looked like to me. This is how I received that. And it's important how we put it, because sometimes we have a limited set of facts, and that limited set of facts causes us to think something's one way, and maybe we don't see everything. But we have to, if we've got an issue with somebody, and it's enough that we got to talk to somebody about it, then why not talk to that someone about it before we go blab to everyone else and say, wow, look what he did, look what she did, look what's going on. And you know, Jesus said, look, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. The idea is that if someone has sinned against you, you've already lost them. If someone has, and, and that's key here, if they've sinned, we're not talking about if someone dressed the way you didn't like. We're not talking about if they made a life choice that you're just not thrilled about. If they didn't, if they asked you for advice and then did the opposite thing. If they spoke to you in a way that happened to be a little bit snippy, you thought one day. We're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about if they actually sin against you, okay? All right, so real stuff. They stole from you. They slandered you. They punched you in the face. On and on and on. Real sin against you. Jesus is saying, you've, you've already lost them as a brother or sister. The, the, the relationship, the fellowship's already broken there. So what do you have to lose by going to that person? The relationship's already broken. You can't get any more broken than that. So what you're going to do, you try to heal it. You try to restore it. You try to make it better. And then it says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And the idea is there, 
We are picturing here, Jesus' idea is within a community, a small community of faith. And real sin has occurred here. Again, this is not just a difference of opinion. But there's a real sin that's taking place. We need to get some other folks. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong. We need to get some godly folks in on this. Not everybody, but we need to get one or two others that can help us see this thing through. Help us mediate. Help us realize. Maybe I'm really in the wrong. Maybe not. Let's get some godly folks. And this doesn't mean I'm going to line up somebody who I know is going to take my side. This means I'm going to find somebody that I know is godly and that I know loves me and loves that other person equally. And it's not going to try to take a side. And I'm going to say, I need you to help because we got an issue. We have a hurt. We have a problem. And I can't stand it that our brokenness is keeping us apart. You know why this doesn't happen? Part of it is because we're too chicken, you know, that we're scared to actually open up ourselves. And, but a lot of it is we don't care. A lot of us in life are so used to throwing away relationships. Once there's been some discord, once there's been some, some fussing going on, well, okay, I don't need them. I don't know how many times I've heard that in my life. I don't need them. We say that, and we throw away relationship after relationship as if it's nothing. I'll, I'll find another friend. I don't need them. And we don't even try. Paul says, as much as it is possible, be at peace. It's not always up to you. Sometimes you can't. But you do your part. You do what you can. Jesus says, try on your own. When you can't do something on your own, bring in some godly good folks to try to help. And this ultimately, when it comes to that point where this isn't resolving it, you bring it to the church. And again, you're saying, oh, bring it to the church. Well, again, this is why this is not just because, you know, I disagree with them. <laughs> this is not just because, you know, we rub each other the wrong way. This is real, true sin. This is something that you can look at and you can say, any reasonable person would look at this and conclude they have sinned against me. They have done something hateful or wrong toward me and they are unrepented of it. And, and you know, and, and this broken relationship is existing within the fellowship of Christ. So it's not only harming me, it's not only harming them, it's, it's affecting the relationship in the body of Christ. And then at this point, this is where the church has to say, hey, Okay, we're doing an intervention here. We're going to try to help you folks get along. We're going to come to bear, all of us that we can, we're going to try to say, let's get this thing together. Let's work this thing out. You know, Paul did a similar situation in one of his letters. He called out a couple of ladies. Now, he didn't happen to say who was in the wrong. Maybe he didn't even know. But in the middle of his letter, how would you like that recorded for all of Christian history? 
your name and another person's name called out because there was a squabble between the two of you. But apparently there were these two normally just awesome, godly women who were doing great things in the church, but the church was not doing well because these two women couldn't get along. And he says, hey, help them get along. You two, you need to get along. Because division in the body of Christ is a real problem. And so, Jesus says, you know, you do this. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What's a heathen and a tax collector? That means an outsider. That means you can no longer consider that person as a a functioning member of the body because they have said, "We we disregard the true feelings of the entire body of Christ, of this local branch of the body of Christ, who have all said, we love you, and we want to help this problem, and, and you've kind of thumbed, you know, put your nose up, and you've said, no, no, I'm not going to say sorry. I, I'm just, I don't care that everyone else in the world thinks that I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. Because when there is such a prideful spirit, Bible says that that relationship and that fellowship is broken and you cannot just consider them a part of the family, a part of the body when they behave that way. You can't say, hey, you know, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be an integral part of the plans. You're right here, part of the body. You can't think of that them in that mindset when they have really excluded themselves above and beyond the church by saying, you know, I know everybody in the world cares, says they cares and wants the best, but I'm above all accountability. I'm not going to listen to anyone. I don't know if you notice, but in verse 15, 16, 17, over and over, you, the word hear and listen, hear, listen, Depending on what translation you're reading, those words are repeated over and over again. It's all about, will someone listen? Will they be humble? Will they try to keep peace in the fellowship? Or are they the type of person that says, you know what? I'm just right all the time. I'm just, I can't listen to anybody else. The whole world's wrong and I'm right. You know, that's a, a sad deal when you come across this. But I want you to understand that unlike the way it is sometimes practiced and the way it is sometimes portrayed, the idea, the focus is not even on discipline. And that's why I said sometimes it's called the passage on church discipline. That's like a last resort. The focus of the passage is not on discipline, but on reconciliation. The focus of the passage is on forgiveness. 
That's why we hear about Peter asking about forgiveness. And he says seven times, and Jesus says seven times 70. It's about protecting those. When Jesus talks before about the little ones and not causing them to go astray. And by the way, obviously there are situations and circumstances where these basic, basic instructions have to be modified because of the particular situation. These basic instructions are, are talking about equals here, brother to brother. But if we were talking about a, an adult mistreating a child, we're not expecting a child to go confront an adult. Uh, we're not expecting someone who's been abused to go confront an abuser who's held power over them. Obviously, there are situations where you have to handle things differently. But remember, right before this comes the parable of leaving the 99 and going to the 1. The overwhelming emphasis on this process is not so much discipline. It's surely not, the goal is surely not excommunication or throwing someone away or getting rid of them. The idea and the goal is for multiple, multiple attempts to be made to reconcile and to bring someone back into relationship because a relationship has been broken by sin between one member of the body and at least one other member of the body. I know when we look at this and we say, wow, you know, things are so different. And stuff's hard and different. And, you know, we're not eight or ten people meeting in a home like they were in the early days of Jerusalem. We meet in large churches. And, you know, there's, it's a 2,000 years later. And now we've got legalities. And we've got different societies. And, and we've got all kinds of differences. Does that mean we just chunk this? No. Do we take those things into consideration? Yes, we think through them and we process it. But the basic idea is still the same. When you and I, when our relationships, when they grind to a stop, when they are damaged, when they are broken, it is up to us to take initiative to resolve. Many of us, when someone else has hurt us, We'll say, huh, yeah, it's on them. I guess I'll forgive, you know, I'll try to think about it and be gracious if one day they ever come to me, you know, and on their hands and knees and beg for forgiveness. Yeah, I'll, you know, think about forgiving them. But we think that's, that's the most I'll ever do. But Jesus is saying, guess what? If someone has sinned against you, you take the initiative to restore that relationship. You be the loving person who does what you can to restore it. Doesn't matter if you think, well, I'm not the guilty party. <laughs> I'm the good one, <laughs> you know, and on and on and so forth. And look, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. We all know that there are people who are users and abusers. And I'm not talking about getting yourself eaten up by those type of folks, but I am, and, and I'm not talking about being a doormat, 
But we do have to forgive. We can draw appropriate boundaries in relationships, and that's a good thing. Jesus even did that. There's folks who wanted to make him king right away. He said, nope. There were folks who wanted to do all sort of things. He said, I'm about my father's business. I've got my plan. And Jesus set appropriate boundaries in his life, and we need to set appropriate boundaries. But we need to learn how to not throw relationships away, not just say it's okay, well, they ruined our relationship. That's the end of that. But not only be willing to forgive and to ask forgiveness, but even to seek to reconcile even when we feel like, not my fault. Sometimes to be willing to say, hey, I don't like that our relationship is broken. And from my perspective, here's what happened. I'd love for this to be made right. What do you say? Does that open yourself up to some potential pain? Yeah, it does. It's tough. You may get rejected. You may not be heard. But you know, you can do what you can do and you can know that, hey, I've tried. I didn't just throw that away. I didn't just give up on that. You can do what you can do. We serve a God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. We serve a God who forgives us over and over and over, and he's forgiven us a debt that we can never repay. And anything that anyone has done to you is far less than what you've done to God. And God says, the mercy that I've given to you is to be reflected in your life in mercy and forgiveness towards others. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask that you'd help us. Father, there's, there's no perfect guide to all the different things we go through in relationships. Lord, there's, we have some great principles you give us that Lord, there's always going to be hardships and difficulties along the way. Even when we follow your principles, Lord, that doesn't excuse us from pain or hardship or difficulty. But, Lord, we just ask that you help us to have the right heart, a heart of, of kindness and forgiveness, and a, a heart of, of seeking to really value relationships Enough that when there's something wrong there, God will seek to work through it. We'll care enough to work through it rather than to, to leave it broken. That we'll love people enough to go through that hard work of reconciliation. Lord, that we'll be willing to show forgiveness and mercy just as you've shown towards us. And Father, we pray now as we Sing this next hymn, Lord, that you would allow us to just consider your great mercy upon us. How much that means, Father, how thankful and grateful we are and how we can share that with others. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.